this is actually a really big issue that's affecting lots of workers and it's also affecting businesses as well because for those businesses that are doing the right thing that means they know that some of their competitors might be undercutting them by essentially underpaying their workers and that's bad for competition it's not a level playing field so from lots of different angles this is a real problem Hello, everyone, and welcome along to another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. My name is Neil Carberry, the REC Chief Executive. Big thanks to my colleague Kate Shoesmith uh, taking over the pod for the last episode. If you have, if you missed that, really great episode all about expanding into the US market uh, with Josh Gitman and Miranda Ashley of uh, LGWS. Lots of really good advice if you're thinking about heading stateside in there. At the REC right now, lots going on. We had the AGM just this week with a fantastic presentation from Tony Wilson of the Institute of Employment Studies on the on labour supply and the changing shape of jobs in the uh, labour market. If you would like to see that, we've got the slides and the, the video of the presentation. Just drop your REC account manager a note and uh, and we can pick that up. But with that out of the way, we're building towards two big dates. Um, First and foremost, the REC compliance uh, assessment deadline is the 30th of June. Really important to make sure that all uh, corporate members of the REC have taken the compliance test within the last two years before the 30th of June. Um, with teams around to support you and navigating your way through that, making sure that you can remain in compliance and demonstrate your quality. And as you'll go on to discover to, in today's podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about standards and compliance and enforcement today. Uh, the other big thing, of course, is the REC annual conference on the 6th of July. Uh, do come and join us. Fantastic day from the politics to the city to trade unions to uh, leaders of our sector, real, really trying to take a long term look at where we are now as a sector and what should be on the minds of recruitment business owner, operator, owners, operators and directors as we go into the, the, this next period, because I think we're all used to things being pretty uncertain. And hopefully we can give you on conference day just a little bit of certainty about that. The other thing to mention is if you are interested in joining us in November for the REC annual awards, the awards entry deadline is the 21st of July. So lots going on there. We've also got some cracking new work on recruitment and technology coming out during July. So keep an eye out for that as well. Data-wise, data we're definitely seeing a, seeing a, a flattish overall temp market in uh, our data at the moment, but maybe uh, very varied sector by sector. On the perm side, still slowing down, but some whispers around the memberships that maybe June has been a better month than April and May. So be interested to hear about that from you. If you've got something to share, do share it with your account manager, drop me a line. Um, but we'll wait and see at the beginning of uh, uh, of uh, July with our June data, whether that pulls through to the numbers. Do also check out online at the, the events page. We've got a, uh, quite a few regional events coming up around England, but also we've got sector group meetings for education and for construction. Uh, coming up early in July. So plenty of ways to get in touch with us and of course uh, to uh, feedback and and uh, pick up on the latest REC business advice. Uh, 
Now let's turn to today's uh, discussion. I'm delighted to welcome the senior economist from the Resolution Foundation, Hannah Slaughter, to the podcast. Hannah, thank you for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. A few of our members will know Resolution uh, as a uh, a, a body that has become increasingly influential thinking about the cost of living crisis, thinking about incomes in the UK and the experience of of workers. Um, but for those who haven't picked up on that, just tell us a little bit about Resolution, the work, you, uh, uh, the work the foundation does, but also the work you do within it. Yeah, sure. So the Resolution Foundation, for anyone who doesn't know, is an independent research and policy organisation. And uh, we're also a charity and our charitable purpose is to um, work to improve living standards for those on low to middle incomes. And so we write reports and we work across um, a variety of policy areas, everything from housing to wealth to the cost of living um, and to the labour market. Um, and my role is is focused around um, the labour market, uh, from everything from big picture trends to what's happening to jobs and pay um, to more specialised issues like um, compliance with workers' rights, which is what we're going to be talking about today. That's a prose segue into the topic. Um, <laughs> I, I, I like that. Yeah, I, I mean, this is, this is something that's kind of... Uh, that is always on our mind and the REC has always stood for not less regulation but more effective regulation of uh of our sector uh but also around um uh uh around this the system more broadly so let's start with kind of the picture now and and how labour markets rights are currently enforced in the UK. What would you say the strengths and weaknesses of the system we have now is? Or? Well, I mean, perhaps if I can kind of start by taking a bit of a step back and just very briefly talking about kind of the issue that, that we're facing. I mean, people might almost take for granted, especially, you know, um, those who are working for businesses that are doing the right thing, that, that you know, businesses have rules that they need to comply with and that's what they do but actually we find in our research that non-compliance with workers rights is actually a really big issue so just to give a couple of examples thinking about minimum wage workers so people paid at or below um, at or around the legal minimum wage around a third of those um, are estimated to be actually underpaid we also find that about 900,000 workers have no paid holiday entitlement despite being um, having a legal right to it. And um, in a survey that we ran um, last year, we found that one in five people reported experiencing workplace discrimination in the past year, which is obviously really shocking. So this is this is actually a, a really big issue that's affecting lots of workers. And it's also affecting businesses as well, because for those businesses that are doing the right thing, that means, you know, they they know that some of their competitors uh, might be undercutting them by essentially underpaying their workers. And that's bad for competition. It's not a level playing field. So from, from kind of lots of different angles, this is um, a real problem. Um, and then in terms of the, the system that's um, set up to deal with it. So, I mean, maybe firstly, I'll, just to talk a bit about the the institutional setup um, and and kind of which you know which government organisations there are to to deal with this. So at the moment, I think it's 
fair to say that the UK has a, a fairly, um, in some ways, fragmented system. It is, we've got a lot of different uh, parts of the government that are enforcing different workers' rights. Um, so, uh, you know, to give a couple of examples, probably the one that REC members will be most familiar with is um, the Employment Agency Standards Inspector at EAS, which, which regulates employment agency. Course, but then yeah. You've also got... Um, the minimum wage underpayment um, enforcement team, which is part of HMRC. Um, you've got the health and safety executive and and, and lots more as well. Um, and we've argued in our work that um, there's, you know, that is firstly that there are substantive issues that come with that. Um, so, you know, there's, it means that there's almost necessarily there's going to be a lack of join up between you know different organizations with slightly different priorities it's difficult to to share um information between them when they need to and it also just means that you know when a worker is facing an issue or or when a, a business is isn't sure about um what the, what they need to be doing there's not a single clear point of contact for them to go to and it's also quite unusual among OECD countries. So we, we um, wrote a report on this earlier this year where we looked uh, in, in depth at, at some countries, um, including Ireland and Australia, which are in many ways quite similar to the UK, but they actually have single bodies that, you know, you've got one organisation um, enforcing maybe not every single right, but but most of the rights. So it, it's quite it's quite different here. One kind of good thing that's happened in recent years is that the government has created a post called the Director of Labour Market Enforcement. They are appointed to to kind of uh, coordinate some of the um, some of the enforcement bodies and kind of provide uh, strategic direction. Um, and that's been a really positive development. Um, but but nonetheless, we're kind of in a world where it, it is still quite fragmented in practice. Um, and then more substantively when we think about how um, much um, how, how you know the, the level of resources that the uh, enforcement bodies have to do their job we find that the big picture is that the UK has quite low levels of resourcing internationally so one you know the easiest way of comparing um, between countries is looking at the number of um, inspectors labour market inspectors that we have um, per 10,000 um, uh, of the workforce um, and we find that we are uh, lagging behind most other OECD countries there, and we're actually only a third of the way to meeting the International Labour Organization's benchmark. Over time, budgets of UK of the UK enforcement bodies have been declining or, or more recently been flat. Um, but that's not to say that's the case with everybody. And we know that um, some enforcement bodies have seen uh, recent increases in their budget. Um, so one of those uh, agencies that's seen um, enforcement agencies that's seen an increase it is the EAS the enforcement uh, the employment agency standards inspectorate um, and then also the uh, national minimum wage enforcement team has seen an increase in their budget to help them enforce the higher new higher minimum wage rates and then and then finally on how rights are currently being enforced just to talk a bit about the the broad approach um, that the enforcement bodies tend to take obviously each body has a slightly different way of working but broadly speaking most of the bodies focus more on kind of encouraging and supporting uh, and educating firms to comply with the rules um, as opposed to you know levying fines or, or kind of coming down harder on on firms and that's obviously broadly speaking a, a very sensible strategy because the vast majority of firms want to comply um, and the vast the vast majority of firms do comply um, but what it does mean is that when 
deliberate non-compliance is found um that there's you know not not very much happens and, and there are those kind of minority of of employers the the bad actors that are able to to get away with often no fine at all even if um even if a violation is uncovered um and even when fines are um implemented they they are often far too small to make a difference if it's you know if it's if it's one of those businesses that's really bent on on not playing by the rules they're not going to be swayed by the level of fines that exist at the moment Hannah that's fantastic in terms of giving us a picture of of this and certainly you know REC members listening to this will know that we've been very robust over the years in calling for instance for uh, umbrella company regulation for exactly the reasons you've set out which is an unlevel playing field for uh, companies uh, puts those who are non-compliant ahead of those who are compliant and ultimately drives standards down in the labour market rather than driving them up and you know there, there are debates to be had about the balance of uh, regulation and enforcement but that piece around every company having to play by the same rules uh, resonates I know with lots of uh, lots of our members when you talk about the process regulators follow in educate enable enforce has long been a principle and there's a big role for sector bodies like the REC on educate and enable as well as for regulators but enforcement you know enforcement has to happen you know justice has to be seen to be done in order for behavior to change and you put your finger on I think something really important which is I think uh, the director of labor market enforcement is doing a good job I'm delighted Margaret Bales current DLMA is joining us at the REC conference on the 6th of July but they are stitching together about six different departments um, and there seems to be a kind of a genuine lack of enforcement strategy across the labour market because so many different uh, departments have a role in it from you know HMRC with the minimum wage which effectively is a part of the treasury through to immigration enforcement in the home office through to uh, bits of the DWP bits of the department for business and trade is that one of the things that at resolution you put your finger on which is just a need to have a kind of more coherent overall strategy for enforcement yeah absolutely i mean totally agree that it's um really great to have um the director of labor market enforcement in place to kind of provide um some of that um strategic direction um and they've been producing um strategies for the last few years um it's maybe worth saying that that some of that process of, of kind of you know even even setting out that strategy in the way that it exists now has been held back by you know various kind of uh parliamentary processes and delays and and it's you know it's it's been quite slow going in terms of actually getting those strategies approved and responded by the government so it's maybe not as efficient as it could be uh, which is you know not not the fault of the DLME at all um but I think you know we we are very much in favor of of for exactly the reasons that you you're talking about Neil of, of going further and actually bringing together um some of the bodies in a more formal way um so the government um has you know in its 2019 um manifesto it's it said that it wanted to bring together three out of the um seven or so enforcement bodies um together into one single enforcement body we've actually recommended going even further than that and having um one single body for for pretty much every worker's rights apart from things like health and safety and uh, workplace discrimination that, that kind of need uh, more more specialist bodies and um 
and yeah bringing bringing most of the bodies together for exactly that reason of having a coordinated strategy and also because we know that um the firms um those, those kind of minority of firms that are um not complying with one part of labor market regulation are probably you know cutting corners in other ways as well so actually it's you know it makes sense to have you know when when a um a firm is being inspected and kind of you know some deliberate uh, or what seems to be kind of deliberate non-compliance is found um, that there's you know it's easy to kind of start looking at other aspects um, of labour market rules as well. Yeah I mean recalling my time on the Low Pay Commission um, it was always the case that non-compliance layers on so you affirm that isn't paying national minimum wages possibly tax non-compliant as well it's a, it might be immigration non-compliance and so on and so, and so forth so that that principle of unity is important. I suppose one of the the challenges, I remember talking to Frances O'Grady when she was uh, General Secretary at the TUC about this, is, you know, the tendency to merge regulators. You know, one of the risks is actually that you end up with a couple of years of kind of small political infighting between the bodies as they merge and and a treasury that's saying, well, there's one of you and there used to be seven of you um so you can make do with less than kind of the added budgets of the seven organizations so a little bit of needing when we're approaching that single regulator point to remind ourselves of the wider point that you made about kind of impact of uh, of enforcement in the in in the labor market because you know merging and then downsizing drives again would drive against the kind of principles you're pushing at wouldn't it yeah, absolutely. It's certainly a risk. And um, when we were looking at, at other countries, um, we we noted that when a single enforcement body was introduced in the Netherlands, that was kind of used as a as an excuse to to cut budgets, and and you know, and that didn't necessarily lead to so good outcomes. And it's it's certainly true that you know this is this would not be a, a kind of simple, straightforward, easy task. Um, you know, different different um, bodies will come with different cultures, different kind of ways of working. And it would certainly be, um, you know, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be as as straightforward um, as, as we might hope. But it's that's not to say that it um, isn't worth doing. And it's, you know, the, there have been examples in the past of where mergers of, of departments have, have, you know, gone really well, where people have kind of really pushed to to make that work. And I think it's, it's definitely something that would be you know, would be really worth putting a lot of effort into because it it could have, you know, really improved outcomes for, for both workers and um, those confirms that are already doing the right thing. Yeah, and clarity on pathway matters as well. I mean, if I look at ACAS, you know, at a time like this, with the level of industrial disputes that we've got, ACAS is prob- probably a bit more in the public eye than it has been for a while because of its role on collective conciliation. But of course, ACAS is a an open access advisory service for anyone on uh, on uh, their life at work and their their rights at work, and doing hundreds of thousands of calls every year from workers. But I'm not sure that. If you're, for instance, in some of the younger generations in the workforce who have have come, who maybe don't know ACAS as well, because you know this year is very high for strike days, but other years previous have not been. Um, that that visibility of the advisory service, as well as a clearly focused enforcement service, you know, those two things being separate might well be be sensible. But just making sure that people have information 
about their rights as well as enforcement activity, even if those exist in different places. Both of those are important, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Definitely ACAS is um, a really good example of a, you know, when people don't know where to to go or don't don't know that the enforcement bodies exist. ACAS is is a clear point of call. Um, When we uh, ran a survey asking people, you know, what would you do if you were experiencing a a violation of your rights or you were worried about it? ACAS actually came out ahead of um, government bodies. um, Although it's worth saying that over half of um, the people that we surveyed who were uh, all private sector employees um, actually said that they just didn't know where to go um, at all. And I think the point that you made about kind of having, you know, having the advisory service separate from from enforcement bodies is a really important point. Obviously, it's, you know, inherently going to be linked to the system in that it can signpost people to to the enforcement bodies and and such like. But, um, you know, lots of people might, um, lots of workers with a concern, for example, might find it much easier to go to or kind of much more approachable um, to go to a body that that doesn't have such clear links with the government. And one example that that we highlight in in the report um, of a group that might be more reluctant to approach government bodies is is migrant workers, yeah. um, and and we know that that group is more susceptible to violations of of their rights, but also may have concerns um either if, if their migration status is insecure or they're not sure you know um whether there'll be consequences for their migration status if they approach a body with a concern or if they're um you know if they're on a visa that's tied to their current employer and they're worried if you know if they do something that you know means that they're not employed by that person anymore then they'll lose their their right to remain in the uk so actually having having independent um, advisors, be it ACAS or be it, you know, um, organisations such as Citizens Advice, you know, uh, more kind of third sector organisations is also a really important part of the picture um, for people, you know, people to have a port of call and also kind of getting the advice out there through lots of different channels. I, I think that makes lots of sense in terms of, you know, there are people who, for whom interaction with, in inverted commas, the government carries both threats and opportunities. I wanted to ask you about the one bit of the system that we haven't talked about yet, which is, you know, pretty clearly that we've talked a lot about enforcement agencies who are on the front foot taking action themselves. But a lot of our employment lights rest on the use of the employment tribunal. Um, what's your work, uh, Sean, is suggesting about ETs as a route to resolution? Well, employment tribunals are, are an interesting one because it the, the the fact that we do have you know a relatively light touch enforcement system through the state means that workers are having to rely on employment tribunals a lot of the time to to um, assert their rights and for some rights um, you know thinking as one one example workplace discrimination which is you know it's it's inherently really you know often really complex cases um, that you know they need to go through the courts it's it's you know it's much it's, it's not a case of you know going you know yes this has happened uh, no it hasn't happened and and you know, it's not it's not that clear cut. So the employment tribunal system is really important there. But what we have found in our work is that the groups of workers that are most likely to face uh, labour market violations, so thinking particularly of um, younger workers, um, 
low paid workers, workers from some ethnic minority groups, those groups who are most vulnerable to violations of their rights are actually least likely to make use of the employment tribunal system. And partly that's because of the costs, even though you know, there aren't fees anymore for employment tribunals. There, there still can be kind of uh, wider legal costs, but it's also about, you know, having the time, having, you know, the stress of going through a court case um, and the fact that often employment tribunal awards are, are linked to, to earnings. So, you know, pe- low paid people, for example, are just, you know, have less to gain from, from going through that process. So it's kind of clear from that that the, the employment tribunal system is not you know, it's not working particularly well for the groups that that most need it. And, you know, organisations such as law centres or other charities are able to kind of help um, to, to some extent with that. But it's, you know, the, there's kind of clear issues. And obviously at the moment that there's um, bigger issues with with backlogs, partly stemming from the COVID pandemic, but that, that predate it um, as well. That means that it just takes so much longer to, to go um, through the employment tribunal system as well so it's not you know the the et system just isn't kind of working as that you know that quick and efficient resolution um that it um should be there for for those cases that that get that far so it's you know improving that is absolutely something that um we have been recommending um we think that partly by you know if you strengthen the state enforcement system for for those uh, labour market rights where that's that's the most appropriate avenue you actually would you know clear some of the backlog just by taking some of the some of the cases um out of the employment tribunal system and put you know getting them dealt with through state enforcement but we've also uh recommended you know an expansion of um of legal aid um for for those uh workers that that need it um and also um increasing the amount of time that people have to actually decide that they're going to take a case so currently you have to decide within just under three months and we've um, advocated for extending that that time limit to six months that people have got more uh more time to to take a case um through the court as well yeah and i think from an employer's perspective ets are those et delays are particularly destructive for small businesses where you know without over kind of focusing on the merits or otherwise of a case it's as equally as possible from an employer's perspective that a case is yeah it is uh viewed as very weak and you're likely to win at the tribunal but if the tribunal is 18 months away and it's going to take up all your time that doesn't feel like justice from an employer's perspective either and you're absolutely right hannah that delays in the tribunal system date back a decade they 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 aren't about just what has happened in the um, in the immediate uh, uh, period since the pandemic? So, from a business perspective, coming back to your point at the top of the pod, uh, government enforcement in a sensible way that just gets the thing done with proportionate penalties um, is important, not just for kind of making sure there's a level playing field, but actually, if something does go wrong in your business, you might want that approach to to get it dealt with quickly than than something drags on for two to that could drag on for two to three years um just while we finish um all of this of course is um potentially a a, you're up for grabs government supporting some private members bills on labor rights through at the moment potentially a change of government next year if we want us to believe the polls 
one of the things that we are pu- we've been pushing really hard at the REC is that governments for the last decade or more have been very keen on passing law and less keen on enforcing it. Uh, and the challenge with that is every time you pass a law and don't properly enforce it, the compliant businesses costs go up and the non-compliant businesses go down. So would you kind of take the view, I think, that I, I suspect many of our members at the REC would, which is let's get on with enforcement as a priority. Um, and if we have to tweak regulation and tweak law in due course to achieve some legitimate aims, very very well but the the core problem is actually about enforcement rather than the 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 stock of employment regulation that we have now is that a fair summary i think that's um i think that's a really important point we've and actually we've done the uk has done really well in lots of ways on introducing um, employment regulation. I mean, the the big success story of recent years has been, uh, from our point of view, has been the minimum wage and and increasing that and, you know, introducing the national living wage in 2016 and and the successive uh, increases in the minimum wage since. But even as we've been, you know, in in some senses kind of really pushing hard on, on improving the world of work for people in terms of regulate regulations, we actually, as you say, we, we've had less of a focus on enforcing it. And I mean, you know, that's not to say there hasn't been kind of any um, kind of commitments to enforcing um, workers' rights properly. I mean, I mentioned earlier um, that um, in the government's 2019 manifesto, they did um, say that they wanted to bring forward a um legislation to introduce a single enforcement body um they introduced the post of director of labor market enforcement uh, before that but it does seem that more recently progress has been stalling and it, it you know it seems like um the, the current government has you know put the plans for a single enforcement body very much on the back burner um and it's you know it, it seems it seems to me that it's very unlikely that anything is really going to move um substantively anytime soon and even the kind of the commitments or, or the kind of um the, the you know the things that the government has said about putting importance on on workers rights doesn't seem to have been matched by um much movement in terms of you know more budget for enforcement agencies or anything kind of tangible like that um aside from as i mentioned earlier some some pockets thanks hannah and so i think the takeaway here is that there's there's evidence that we need to do more on enforcement and a, a pretty robust pro-business argument for looking to enforcement uh, in terms of setting the baselines for the terms of doing business in the UK, um, where for businesses, you know, REC members via the REC, but other businesses via their sector bodies as well, uh, having a debate about how to do that well feels like it's got some um, purpose to it and some some meaning. Whereas I I think the 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 debate has been a little bit sterile about this for for a little while. With the exception, as you rightly point out, of one or two areas where. Uh, budgets have gone up AAS who do excellent work and um but also um uh, national minimum wage enforcement where even then the scale of uh enforcement next the potential challenge and the extent to which uh perhaps firms are 
you know, enforcement is happening in the firms that enforcement officers can find rather than ones that they can't um, suggests that there's some scope for budget as well. And is there anything um, else overpowering from the resolution foundations worth it's worth flagging here uh, but also if listeners are interested in what you've been doing where can they find out more about the work that resolution's done on this sure i mean i think in terms of our broad takeaways they sound quite similar to yours in that it's clear that more needs to be done on enforcing workers rights and we can do it a lot better i think that's you know there's there's at least been some signs of the political will to do it um, but nothing has yet been done but we just kind of need to move ahead and you know we really want to to hammer home the argument that sometimes enforcement um, has been seen as something which is you know harmful to businesses or, or a burden on businesses but it's it seems clear to us that for those businesses that are already doing the right thing enforce you know stronger enforcement um, can only be good um, to them um, and um, I think that's that's really important to get across. Um, in terms of um, our work, so this uh, we have just finished a, a very long four-year programme of work on labour market enforcement. So there's lots of um, our back catalogue for people to read if they're interested. And if you go to our website, which is resolutionfoundation.org, um, and you can browse our publications there, and hopefully they're fairly easy to find. We've done deep dives into... Um, everything from minimum wage underpayment to health and safety to workplace discrimination. Um, so hopefully lots for your members to get their teeth into if they are so inclined. And a fascinating way, well, aside from the enforcement work, to get your head around some of the pressures on household incomes in uh, at, at the moment, which was a you know, big theme of our discussion at the REC AGM this week, but also um, obviously, right at the heart of some of the comments made by the Bank of England governor after the uh, the recent rates dec decision, where um, I think many of us are sceptical as to the extent in which wages are driving inflation rather than inflation driving wages the other way around. Hannah, thank you so much for joining us uh, today. That's been a really great discussion. Really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you for having me. And thank you to all of you for joining us on this uh, edition of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. Absolute delight to have you join uh, join us again. If you enjoyed this episode, why not try one of our back catalogue? Episode 9 for uh, 2023 is with one of our own, Helen Tomlinson, the Head of Talent De Development at the ADECO Group in the UK, but who is now the UK's first ever menopause employment champion, uh, appointed by the government and doing fantastic work to help businesses think about their uh, response to supporting uh, women around uh, uh, menopause and perimenopause but also uh, lots of other uh, really good episodes in there. Episode 10 on the current UK contingent staffing uh, la uh, landscape with our friend Mark Key from Pixid or if you go a little further back fantastic discussion with Sarah O'Connor of the FT around automation and the future of the labour market all in there worth a listen uh, and I will hope to uh, have you join us again on another episode of the podcast soon thank you for your time today thank you for listening today i hope you took away some valuable thoughts from this discussion if you'd like to hear more head to rec.uk.com forward slash talking recruitment or follow us on apple podcasts google podcasts and spotify simply search talking recruitment to find us